Welcome to the Your Brand, Your Story podcast. I'm Megan Ingram, founder of Ingram Digital Consulting, brand storyteller, data geek, and your host. In the debut season, we dive into 14 brand stories as told by industry leaders, company founders, entrepreneurs, and professional freelancers to uncover their origins, success paths, and key milestones. Listen as we discuss the state of digital marketing and other interesting and relevant business subjects like the future of work, diversity in the workplace, and freelancing fundamentals from our curated guest pool of creative, curious, socially conscious, and bold industry professionals with unique perspectives to inform and inspire future marketing leaders. This week, we chatted with Dave Schneider, who founded marketing agency Shortlist.io, which has grown to over 500,000 in revenue in its first year. He previously built and successfully sold two SaaS companies, Ninja Outreach and LessChurn.io. And we're really excited to have him on the show today. What advice do you have for aspiring digital nomads or in general, just from all your experience and learnings from, from going through that? I think an important thing is to understand really what is the purpose of the trip. Um, so for us, it was, you know, obviously we wanted to travel. We wanted to, you know, um, uh, we wanted to experience different cultures. But when you say specifically digital nomad, there is a, a difference between that and traveler. There's essentially uh, a component that says you're you're digital, right? You're connected to your laptop. You're maybe working from your laptop. Um, and so you're introducing some degree of, I'm going to be working while I'm traveling. That's really kind of what defines a digital nomad as opposed to just a traveler, a backpacker, a vagabond, whatever you want to kind of call it. Um, and so, you know, that, that kind of comes with um, some additional uh, things to, to think about. So for us, you know, we were always balancing the work and the travel and th that can be a little difficult, right? Cause if you're all in on the travel, then, you know, you can be all about the itinerary and where you go and what you do. And every day is kind of, you know, just exploration versus, you know, if you're all about the work, you're basically thinking about being productive and efficient and growth and things like that. And the digital nomad has to kind of balance those two things. They're trying to essentially see all these things in the world, but then at the same time, maybe try to kind of start something or grow something. And those two kind of, um, you know, desires or needs, they, they pull at each other because you can only be in one place at one time. You can only do one thing at one time. Um, and it's not like there's always going to be, you know, rainy days. Oh, I'm going to make this a work day. Sometimes it's going to be like a beautiful sunny day and you're going to have to say, but I need to do this proposal now or whatever it is. Um, and so I just think it's important that you kind of come to it with the right expectations and understand, you know, what is, what is the most important thing right now? Um, and then to allow yourself to, to go full on in it, you know, if really what you want to do is travel, um, then do that. You know, if really what you want to do is work, then do that. And if you're looking to kind of balance it, then just accept the fact that, you know, you, you, they're going to kind of, there's going to be pull and, and, and tug um, with those two things. They're going to kind of compete. You might not always be able to do the travel the way you want. You might not always be able to work the way you want. Yeah, such great advice. And it's definitely, I'm sure, such a balance between the two because you want to go out and experience all these cool, great things while you can. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's I mean, obviously, it's a privilege to have that choice, you know, to be able to be like, you know, what should I, should I work today or should I uh, go explore Bangkok or, or whatever it is? So I, I don't take it for granted. But at the same time, I can I can certainly say that there were times when we were on some tour 
and I would feel guilty that I wasn't working and I wasn't trying to push the business forward. And then there were other times when I would be doing just that and I would be like, oh my God, like I'm in, you know, whatever, Thailand, Southeast Asia, wherever I am. And I'm holed up, you know, working on my laptop, you know, in a hotel or whatever it is. And I'm just like, you know, how am I, how can I waste this opportunity? But that's just kind of, that's just the way it is, you know? That's awesome. It's so, it's so great to hear that. And hopefully we can get to a place where we're doing that very soon. <laughs> Did you do a lot of what I call outdoor digital nomading, where you looked at, you were working while you're on your computer outdoors in different spots? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like occasionally, very, very occasionally, I would try to do something like, you know, I'm on the beach and I've got the laptop open. It's that type of, you know, Instagram story picture that that everybody has seen and, and, and admires. Um, but I, I find it, I just find it distracting. I just have a difficult time kind of doing that. I'm always like spilling something on my electronics. I'm getting sand in it. I don't know, whatever it is. Um, so a lot of times, you know, I, you know, maybe I would go to a cafe, but most of the time I just worked out of the apartment that we were in, to be honest, or the hostel or whatever it was. She really kind of came up with the idea of, hey, why don't we take some time off and go travel? And then maybe if you want, you can go to business school or something like that to transition back. And yeah, I thought the idea was great. Um, it was only supposed to be a one year trip, which in and of itself is a healthy amount of time to go travel. Um, but we ended up on the road for like five years. Um, you know, once you get out there, this is one of the learnings, you get addicted, uh, you get addicted to kind of going wherever you want, whenever you want, um, experiencing new culture, food, um, you know, obviously, just kind of, you know, working out of your laptop and being, you know, you're sort of being an entrepreneur. So for me, that was all, all that was really new. Um, and I, yeah, I hate to say sort of I had to be naive and say, oh, well, anybody can do it. You know, I, I understand that people have uh, priorities, commitments, they have obstacles, things like that. Um, but at the same time, I do think it's fair to say that maybe more people could do it than do do it or feel they could do it. Um, you know, I, I don't think that, uh, yeah, like I said, it's, it's, it's a great time. It's very, very possible to plan the trip, do the travel. I mean, today in today's day and age, okay, it's a little bit trickier, but, <laughs> but generally speaking, um, it's something I highly recommend, something I think people, if they, you know, if they're on top of their priorities and things like that can get done. Okay. And yeah, I guess I, I couldn't say enough about Gosh, it. Gosh, that's, so, that's so great to hear. We're going to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about influencer marketing, which is one of my favorite topics. What inspired you to build an influencer marketing agency? Yeah. So yeah, and I think, you know, with Ninja Outreach, for example, that was my first kind of introduction to influencer marketing. And it, I think it's one of those things that I, I'll be honest, I kind of fell into. Um, I had originally been looking into doing something in the content marketing and SEO space. Um, and then um, I was talking with some people and they mentioned, you know, hey, what we, what we really could use is an influencer marketing tool, a, a tool that I could use to find, um, you know, influencers. Um, at a reasonable price point, something that did prospecting and outreach. And so we started to kind of build the tool with that vision. And then, you know, we also started to incorporate some services related to influencer marketing, because sometimes not everyone's looking for a software solution, they're looking for a service solution. And so we were sort of this hybrid software agency um, type thing. And, you know, so there was that. Um, my wife is sort of a, um, I don't know what the micro influencer yeah. I think is the word, you know, she's not like someone, she's obviously not like a household name, uh, but she does run like a food blog. She has an Instagram profile. She makes money from working with brands and doing advertising and building up an audience. So there was that kind of uh, proximity to the space as well. And having kind of seen it from both sides. 
Um, and I think, you know, years ago, I think this is still the case, um, but years ago it was, uh, it was like super trendy. Uh, there was a lot of demand in that yeah. space. Um, and it just felt like a good time to, to kind of throw ourselves in it. And so, yeah, we, we kind of, we, you know, we went for it. That's great. That's, that's so much fun. I, I love the idea of influencer marketing and that's such a cool, uh, platform. What recent trend is most interesting to you that speaks to the importance of influencer marketing? So I think with influencer marketing um, and, you know, full disclosure, having kind of uh, gone years in marketing and, and now running shortlist, uh, you know, there are, there are obviously people that know this space better than I do and who are maybe more on top of, of super recent trends. But you know, I always think of influencer marketing as a lot of it comes down to to trust, right? That's sort of the foundation of, of that channel. It's it's the belief that these individuals that they are, you know, we can trust them more than a commercial or uh, an billboard or some some sort of advertisement that has some someone has essentially bought the right to your attention. Whereas with influencers, you know, we assume that they have a brand, they have some degree of integrity, and in that the products and things that they recommend. Um, are, uh, you know, it's because they genuinely recommend them. And so if we believe, you know, if we relate to these people, then we're going to be interested in the products that they kind of uh, promote. Um, And so I think that's kind of an important uh, foundation of that channel. And I think it's something that, you know, we've seen kind of go both ways. You know, I've seen influencers who probably do not, um, you know, have necessarily super high ethical standards and are maybe willing to kind of promote anything. Um, and then on the other hand, you have people that kind of stay true to, you know, uh, their beliefs, their values and, and things of that nature. And so I, I in, in because we've had, I think, some degree of um, influencers may be abusing, you know, recommending say products or things they don't really use and things like that. Um, there's, I, I think there's a, maybe a small degree of that trend where the, that marketing influencer marketing is going towards people are you know, be, beginning to doubt it. They're beginning to kind of associate it with just another ad and, and things like that. And so kind of where that ends up, I mean, I'm very kind of curious to sort of see, you know, uh, Will influencer marketing retain its position as this kind of integrity, credible marketing uh, channel where, hey, we can trust these people versus no, uh, everybody's in it for the money and that, you know, that type of a thing. So I'm, I'm you know, kind of curious to see where that goes, uh, but I, I, I really have no yeah, idea. Yeah. The other thing that I also find real interesting is the role that creators are now playing into brands within influencer marketing and how, you know, how they're, they're so connected to each other. And you've already seen some major players even start to kind of like build those relationships. And I, and I just find that incredibly interesting. Yeah. What were the biggest challenges you encountered when starting Ninja Outreach? So Ninja Outreach being a software product, um, a lot of the, you know, challenges that, that we encountered, you know, are similar to, to ones that other people you know, have encountered in, uh, who have attacked kind of a, a similar type of uh, business model, things like that, mostly expenses, you know, expenses and in, in being able to develop um, quickly enough. Because when we started developing Ninja Reach, it, we weren't the only tool on the market. I mean, there were already players in that space, um, some of them, you know, quite well established. And so, you know, there's this idea of an MVP, like a minimum viable product is kind of like, oh, you just got to kind of put something out there and kind of get started. And I think there's, you know, a modicum of truth to that. I think it's a great message of saying, hey, you're better off kind of putting something out there that's not finished and kind of just holding everything back. 
But at the same time, it's really naive to think that like, if you have something that's a worse version of something else that it's ever going to be good enough, you have to kind of, you know, to the, to the extent that people shop around and look at competition, you have to play catch up. And so that was one of the difficulties with Ninja Outreach was that we had a lot of catch up to do with tools that, you know, had been started years ago, obviously had bigger teams, bigger budgets. Um, and we were bootstrapped. We didn't have funding and, you know, we didn't have a large team. Um, what makes it possible? Cause you people, you know, you're probably thinking like, well, so how do you ever do that? And in essentially, you know, the, the, in my experience, the bigger products, the products that have been around, um, you know, they tend to move a lot slower. Uh, just, you know, larger teams communicate less efficiently. Um, there tends to be more like uh, bureaucracy and sort of an approval process and they just are not necessarily innovating as fast. Um, and there's just a lot of other things like technical debt and stuff that gets built up. They have to, they have to fix all these bugs and errors and, and, and whatnot. And so, you know, you can, I, you know, I feel that like, for example, a product that had been around for four or so years within a year and a half, we had more or less kind of caught up to them. You know, it's like, it's like that type of a timeline. So there's that basically that year and a half where your tool is kind of like not really as good as the other guy and you'll get customers because not everybody's necessarily shopping around, but anybody who's looking at the two is going to say this one, this one's sort of much better. So I think that was, you know, that was a, uh, one of the difficulties and then inexperience without a doubt in just building software pro- uh, products and really understanding, um, about having to research the market and ask the right questions and uh, come up with the ideal, you know, customer profile and all these different types of things, you know, we struggled with because we honestly just didn't know what we were doing. Um, and we made a lot of mistakes and, and we ended up spending a lot more money than, than we should have. And I think the end result, because we didn't necessarily have a, a clear vision in mind, you know, four years after kind of starting the tool and, and building it, uh, to a degree, I was, I, I looked at it and I was like, man, like, you know, what have we done? We're just like all over the place here. Uh, and that was kind of one of the reasons why I felt it was maybe time to kind of sell it and say, okay, let's, let's let somebody else um, take, you know, who has maybe a vision for it, take in the direction that they want. Because I felt that, yeah, we had just built and built and built and we built in all these different mm-hmm. directions. The tool really lacked like a clear focus and a clear, you know, product market fit and those types of things. And, you know, that was one of the things that was kind of, you know, eventually led to us transitioning from it. Which leads me into my next question, which is what were your big learnings from building and selling to SaaS companies? And I'm sure that's quite an experience too, kind of going through that, you know, that selling process and what that was like. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they they were, you know, the the experiences with both those software products were, were honestly, you know, quite different. Um, just in terms of you know, obviously the products themselves, but even the the, the uh, experience kind of selling them. Um, you know, Ninja Reach is the more um, typical example of you know uh, meeting with a buyer and doing due diligence and a couple months of conversations and uh, back and forth and contracts and lawyers and things like that. Whereas Less Trend was you know it was a small product. Um, it was something largely. I had a conversation with a couple people. I shopped it around you know, I found an interested buyer, you know, we made a deal. It was, it was, you know, very, very um, casual in, in that okay. sense. Um, so I think, you know, with Ninja Reach, uh, the one where the most learnings are going to kind of come from that, you know, certainly if, if it is your intention to sell your product, um, then, you know, it's something you want to think about generally as early as possible because uh, you know, 
it takes time to do, you know, people are going to be looking at years of history of your product when you sell it. They're going to be looking at, you know, your financials and, and everything you've sort of done. And if you haven't approached your business necessarily with the intention to sell, you might not be positioning yourself in the strongest way possible. So for example, you know, are you maximizing profit, um, you know, prior to selling the business, right? Especially maybe 12 months prior to selling the business, because, you know, people would, they, they might say, well, you know, you're always trying to maximize profit, but that's not true, right? You're sometimes you're investing yeah. in growth, you're, okay. redesign, you're redesigning the website, you're, you're yeah. redesigning the product, you're doing these types of things that, that essentially you're doing them because you think that they will serve you better three to five years from now. But if you're trying to sell a business within a year, then they might not be the right thing to do. And so, you know, for us, we did a lot of redesigns uh, of the website, of the product, like six to 12 months prior to selling it, because we weren't really thinking that we were going to sell it within a year. We, we thought maybe one day we might sell it, but we weren't planning on selling it as soon as we did. And so, you know, the conversation that we have with the buyer, you know, when it comes time to sell, we have to kind of explain all of the expenses and everything that we kind of did and talk about, Hey, well, we, you know, all this money that was spent on a developer and a designer, these are not, you know, typical business costs. These are things that we, we did They're one-offs and it it just becomes, there's a lot ends up being like a lot more to discuss. So, you know, if you are thinking, you know, basically you need to think about your exit plan. Number one, like everybody will tell you that. Um, And then number two, if your exit plan is eventually to sell, then, you know, you need to be started taking certain precautions and steps, you know, at least 12 months in advance to kind of get all your ducks in in a pond or in a row. Yeah. Ducks are already in the pond, but I think you need them in a row (laughs) in the pond. Yeah. And that's such an interesting point about, you know, two versus growth versus kind of like more of a stabilized structure and where you should be divest, you know, diverting your funds if that's, if you're trying to sell uh, a business ultimately. For For sure. For aspiring entrepreneurs and founders out there, what advice would you give them that you wish you knew before going through that process? Through the selling process? Yeah. Yep. Through the selling process. Through the, you know, selling process. um, I think that, you know, expect that it's going to take some time. Um, I think ours by normal standards was like relatively quick. It was maybe two months or so. Um, I've heard of people, you know, six months of conversations or more. Um, and if, uh, you know, if you're a person who, you know, gets emotional, uh, maybe has some you know, ups and down swings just with kind of, you know, uh, the day to day that, you know, that's going to be difficult. That's going to be a difficult time because, you know, you're talking about like six months, you know, maybe to, to kind of negotiate everything and, you know, there were certainly times, even within two months, which is not a long time, there were times within that where I was like, oh, this deal's done, like it's going to fall through, you know, it's, it's not going to work out. Um, and then other times where I was like, oh, okay, you know, we, we've, everything's figured out and it looks like we're kind of good to go. And then just a lot of back and forth. So just kind of expect that, you know, it's a process. It takes time. There's kind of ups and downs. You kind of need to prepare yourself emotionally to, to deal with that, which is kind of true for business in yeah. general. But, you know, even within business, there are certain periods that I think are a heightened level of emotion and selling is, it's gotta be one of them. Yeah, totally agree. Well, we're in this now crazy world of COVID and, you know, it's been obviously a roller coaster ride over the last year and probably still will be for some time in 2021. How have you managed through the COVID that has allowed your agency to remain successful? 
So to some degree, we were poised to weather the storm. Um, and I think that there are, you know, kind of was bucket into three different types of businesses or so. There's those that just honestly were in really rough shape. You're thinking like, you know, your travel, your hospitality, uh, your brick and mortar stores. Then there are those that were just, I hate to say this is the best thing that could have happened to them, but at least from like a growth standpoint, it's true. Like if you're in e-commerce and you sell certain products, um, you're also exploding right now. And then we were kind of in the middle, you know, we're a very digital, we're a digital business, we're a remote team, um, you know, we're, we're helping people with digital strategy. And so to some degree, there's interest is more demand than that. And we don't necessarily have to change a lot of our processes to accommodate the new environment. Um, on the other hand, you know, I, I would typically go to some conferences, you know, every year I do some networking, to, there would be some business development from that. Um, and even outside of business development, uh, culturally for the team, you know, we did a retreat um, in 2019. I was looking forward to doing a team retreat in 2020. It didn't happen. So adjustments certainly had to be made. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, obviously embrace the things that are working for you, you know, and then you have to kind of make some adjustments for, for the things that aren't. So everything that we were doing, you know, before that, that was still good to go. We've kind of continued to do that. Nothing's really changed, but at least in terms of, you know, biz dev, for example, we've had to focus more on our outbound as a channel uh, because we can't, you know, be in person shaking hands um, all the time. Um, and, you know, with team culture, for example, trying to do some things that maybe we wouldn't typically do like, uh, you know, like zoom calls, happy hours. Um, people were even threw out an idea the other day of doing like a virtual, um, escape room. Ah. Didn't even know such a thing existed, but <laughs> uh, that sounds kind of cool. So you have to kind of, you know, you have to kind of come up with your plan B's there. Um, and yeah, I mean, as an agency, you know, you are, you, your growth is really tied to your customer base. Um, and that's a big, uh, a big part of, uh, of your success or, or, la or lack of success. And I've heard of some agencies who are, were in spaces that were hit really hard with COVID. And so they were hit really hard. We were like pretty diversified. Yeah. So maybe there were a couple customers who kind of dropped off, but for the most part, I, I didn't feel like a huge, a huge, you know, hit, hit on that. Yeah. I think, and I think diversification is a huge lesson for agencies in this day about like not putting all your money, you know, all your revenue tied to like one or two or three clients, because those types of agencies right now are really, really struggling if, the, if they didn't have a good pipeline in place. It, yeah, it's so hard because you'll hear so often in the agency game of like, you know, you've got to specialize, you know, you have to, because there's so many agencies, right? So people will say like, if you're not specializing, then how do we differentiate you from, from one or the other? And that, so I do get that. Uh, but then on the other side, you know, if you're on the wrong side trend of specialization, then, you know, you kind of all your eggs are in one basket. And so I don't, I don't know what the right answer to that. Maybe, maybe you do, you know, for us, we, we not really specialists, and sometimes maybe that affects our ability to grow quickly in a normal year, but then in an off year, like last year or something like that, you know, we more or less are kind of coming out. Okay. Yeah. yeah in this environment, it's good. And I still think, you know, even if you are a specialist and you have one client, you know, a few clients that are really your, your main source of income, you, you could be setting yourself up um, for disaster down the road. So, you know, it's important obviously to, mix it up and try and, you know, try and have, you know, a few different types of clients in the mix. 
Mm-hmm. What has been your biggest challenge as a younger company during COVID? I think, you know, the team, you know, the team culture aspect, um, it, I, I think it, it is, in, it is important um, because, you know, as a new company, uh, you, you tend to got new people joining the team more. So, you know, it's like the, we're about 20 people or so right now. Um, and, you uh, some people just joined, you know, this year and now they're like working from home. They don't necessarily know the team as well. They haven't been able to kind of like uh, jive, jive with everybody. And I think that, you know, replacing being able to in, meet, meet in person. And I don't just mean like the team retreats and things like that, but, you know, just going into the office, we have an office in, in Skopje, Macedonia. I'm um, not, everybody's located there, but maybe half the team is. And so people not being able to kind of go in and do that, um, you know, has made it more difficult uh, for you know people to get to know each other, learn to work together, and then just also efficiency and things like that. Um, so that is you know what what is tricky about it. Um, but then, like I said, at the same time, you know, relative to maybe some other businesses, we are used to you know working on Zoom and Slack, and and we are kind of set up remote. Uh, we have remote processes already in place. Um, so you know, I think we, we're doing the best we can with yeah. it. No, I mean, I think it's, it's a challenge and every company agency has to find what works best for them, but obviously the ability uh, to be remote and uh, work in you know, remote team environments is critical. Well, what are you most excited that's up and coming for you in the next year as we look forward to 2021? Sure. I have a lot of things I, I'm, I'm quite excited about. Um, some of them personal, some of them professional. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, I, last year I did have uh, my first child. Oh, wow. um, and so she's about six months right now. And uh, it's a, uh, it's a great age. I'm loving <laughs> it. Uh, they're like just old enough to, you know, laugh yeah. and, and engage, uh, but not too old to be like, crawling around and like getting into a lot of mischief. So really kind of excited about, you know, how she develops uh, this year. Um, Business wise, you know, at Shortlist, you know, we are putting a lot of emphasis on business development. And I think we have a lot to learn about it. Agencies, you know, typically are not necessarily known for having like rockstar biz dev Mm -hmm. programs. Um, and you know, in, in ours, uh, absolutely not, not rock stars. And so we've been, you know, I've been watching some webinars, trying to educate myself and pass out those learnings into the team. And I'm excited about kind of what, what we can do there. Um, I am also, uh, starting a, a new, uh, services business that's more geared towards sales. Um, at the moment it's called quota snap basically, and it's kind of, a, an outsourced sales development team. And I, I think, uh, that will, that will complement things well, because I kind of have the marketing agency. And then if I can grow a sales agency, those two tend to be kind of like sisters, um, in the growth categories. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to see, see, see how that goes to wow, this year. That's, that's so exciting. Uh, really, really glad to hear. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the, your brand, your story podcast today. It was a blast chatting with you. One last thing, where can people find you? People can find me at shortlist.io. Um, I am not active on social media like at <laughs> all, um, but I am very active on email. So if you want to email me at dave at shortlist.io, um, nobody ever does. Uh, but uh, if, if they did, uh, somebody one day, I, I would love them to say, hey, I, you know, I really liked uh, you know, what you had to say or whatever, or I hated what you had to say. I don't know. Say something to me um, via email. It would be great. Awesome. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Your Brand, Your Story podcast. Find us on social at The Data Outlier and our brand handle at Ingram Digital. To learn more about the podcast episode, go to www.yourbrandyourstorypodcast.com and continue the conversation or use the hashtag yourbrandyourstory.